Hi, and welcome to episode number 26 of Monetizing Knowledge, the podcast. My name is Mel Tellesekin. I'm your host, and today we're talking about the GDPR. It comes into place in on May 25, 2018. It's been uh, given a two-year period for people to adhere to it, and I guess it's become very much a newsworthy topic right now because of the timeliness. It's very uh, that that date of compliance is um, coming up very very quickly on the 25th, and we need to talk about how the GDPR is actually going to be affecting businesses of ours in Australia. Today I've got with me Carrie Gersh, she's the director of Taipan Group and she's going to be giving us the ins and outs of what we need to be considering um, and what we need to be doing to make sure that we are not at risk of uh, breaching that but also of breaching the Privacy Act here in Australia as well. This is an area that is often overlooked, it's not talked about because it's... Um, a, it's a tricky area to sort of get our heads around, but also it's one of those areas that, um, as Carrie says in the interview, feels like a bit of an inhibitor. And in fact, this is something that is actually an enabler. This enables your business to grow if you can put some things into place that mean that your customers, your clients' data is protected. Uh, it means that your business is preserved as well. So uh, let's take a listen to Carrie. She's got no-nonsense, straight-to-the-point uh, insights and advice around what people can be doing. And uh, she puts it in layman terms, no jargon in this conversation. I do hope you enjoy the show. Great to have you with me, Carrie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, Carrie... It's, uh, it's great to have you here because we're going to talk like we would talk uh, over a cup of coffee and me asking you all the questions that I would want to know as a business owner. So let's get straight into it. What is GDPR? And let's talk about then how it affects us here in Australia. No problem. So one of the things, Mel, that I always find helpful is breaking down the acronym because more often than not, the words behind the acronym will tell us exactly what it is. We're we're talking about one of the problems I find as a, um, you know, and I I guess I'll call myself an IT person, but, you know, in the industries, we have all these acronyms and uh, I have to ask people what I find. Sometimes I say, oh, this is a silly question, but can you just tell me what this means? Yeah, Um, The words are... So GDPR, it's General Data Protection Regulation, and it it almost indicates when you say the words out loud what it actually is. But um, I guess a high-level sort of 50-word uh, or less answer for you is that it's, um, it's a European-born regulation, which is taking effect globally on the 25th of May. And uh, what it requires uh, is compliance by companies if they offer goods and services in the EU, EU or uh, monitor behaviour of individuals in the EU. Um, And by monitor um, or monitoring behaviour, what we mean there is collecting or processing data that is um, personally identifiable. So, um, you know, name, contact information and personally identifiable information of um, of consumers. Yeah. So it replaces some old legislation back at the beginning of the internet. (laughs) It felt like the beginning of the internet in around 95, yeah? So it's not like this has just come out of nowhere. It's actually just updated and obviously more complex in all the changes that have happened during that time period. That's correct. It's an extension of existing laws around privacy and data protection. Um, And I guess its it's intent is to provide... um, Accountability. So if businesses are collecting data about their consumers or their clients, um, it's providing a uniform approach to building legal certainty for those businesses 
and enhancing the consumer trust in the online services. Um, and, you know, I think we'll probably discuss this a little bit later anyway, but, okay, we're talking about GDPR in Europe here and European Union countries. What has it got to do with us? Well, everything, if you're handling data of people who exist in the, in the EU. And so how much is enough to say that we're handling data in the EU? Because let's say I don't specifically, um, you know, target particular countries for sales of a product uh-huh. or something or, or services, um, uh-huh. but they just happen to come through, for instance. They, the, the interest comes through whether they're signing up to a newsletter or, or whatever else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, where, where does that, that uh, I guess, perspective on targeting the EU and then, say, mm. not explicitly targeting the EU come into play? Yeah, look, it's, I guess um, there is some ambiguity. Uh, there are a lot of caveats. The Act is huge. Um, yeah. If you've got, you know... <laughs> If you've got insomnia, maybe you could read it. But, um, you know, I think what we need to do is, as business owners, um, you know, particularly in retail and the online space where you might be selling a product or, you know, whether that's clothing or services or whatever it is, if it is touching residents of the EU, you need to realise that if any of that information is... um, personally identifiable or or contains enough information about people within the EU that if there is a breach on that data, it could cause um, harm to them. Um, And there's lots of definitions around what that means as well. You need to be mindful of that and understand where that data is living in your systems and how you can minimise the risk of it being leaked. And, And that could, that, I mean, there are some revenue guidelines. Here in Australia, we have got an existing law around privacy mm-hmm. um, and the Privacy Act and some extensions of that. And within Australia, if you are a business um, turning over more than $3 million um, in a financial year, then you are bound by some clients, some compliance um, and regulatory overheads there. Um, so, But with the GDPR, you really need to be looking at what data is being captured of European citizens and what's happening to that data. Um, Otherwise, you could well and truly um, be in trouble. Yeah. Okay. So when you say, you know, enough data or collecting enough data to be considered Uh to be um, putting those those people on our lists potentially Uh at risk, if there was a, uh, a data breach or leak of information, what what constitutes enough? Um, Excuse me. So, good question. With regards to um, inputting data into a subscription or contact list, uh, for instance, you know, in any of those sort of lead capture forms, when you are collecting data around ethnicity and um, even if enough information that has a person's name, email address, phone number, or uh, more than sort of two to three points of identification. It depends how conservative or paranoid you are. But Mm. um, there are people out there who can do a lot of damage with a little information. So, you know, our position on what sort of information you should be putting into contact forms or capturing in your your contact forms is that uh, it needs to be as little as possible for you to grow your database and contact your clients. So it really only needs to be, for instance a first name and an email address, something yeah. that limits the amount of damage someone can do. 
Um, now, with regards to GDPR specifically, there are, as I said before, there is some ambiguity around it, but there is um, there is exceptional details around ethnicity and cultural standings that would be very much frowned upon if you were to be capturing that data or using um, technology and analytics mm, mm. to make assumptions about that data. Sure, sure. Okay, so that's where, for instance, Cambridge Analytica came into mm. problems because they're obviously collecting assumption or assumptive data um, based on people's behaviours or things that they like and things like uh, those sort of things. So correct, okay. correct. So from a from a business perspective, a it's a friction point anyway to be asking for too much information when you're trying to get people to opt into your list anyway. So yes. I would think that sort of this is a bit of a win win situation in that you don't really want to be asking for a whole lot. You want to be asking for a little bit. Um, right. And then from the security side of things, well, you're probably safe if you're looking at just collecting first name, email address. Yes, correct. As and as obviously... In conjunction with a whole bunch of other, um, I guess, data sourcing technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Look, if we go back uh, even only four or five years ago where data was everything, especially for small businesses, you know, we were looking at capturing as much data as possible about our consumers so that we could understand more about their buying habits, mm. what T-shirts they like to wear, what music they like to listen to, so that, you know, maybe one day we could sell that database to a company and make our squillions of dollars. You need to, yeah, we really need to, to evolve or we have sort of evolved from that and going, you know, in order to mitigate or minimise my risk as a business owner, I don't really need to know that much about you anymore. I really just need to know that uh, you have, uh, I'm able to contact you via a certain mechanism and maybe provide some loyalty via that mechanism. So, you know, whether it's sending out vouchers or a happy birthday email or something like that, looking at minimising yeah, the amount of information you actually need to keep your customers loyal and engaged. Is it enough to then say that your list, this list will not be sold to anybody, your data will only ever be kept with us? Mm -hmm. Is it enough to do that? It's actually one of the key principles with GDPR. So consent is a really important factor. So um, my recommendations around consent are that, and again, there are some guidelines, but there are some, there's some ambiguity as well around what you're legally required to do. But um, my advice would be, 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 be transparent with people, you know, let them know that this data is being captured for the purposes of X, Y, Z. Um, make sure they are aware of what they're signing up to. Make sure that they are ticking a box or um, actively not ticking a box to either opt in or out. And, um, you know, I guess basically you, you want to demonstrate to them that, uh, you know, they're, they're not... They're not being sold off, or if they are, here are the terms and conditions around that data being sold. So they then have, they can make a conscious decision as to whether or not they want to sign up for your service. Yeah. Okay. So it's literally that checkbox with a, uh -huh. here's our privacy policy um, uh -huh. or the terms and conditions, um, and then people self-select essentially. So if they choose not to Correct. read those terms and conditions, like so many of us don't, we just <laughs> yeah, just give it to me. We need what whatever it is that we're getting in exchange for that. Service. Correct. <laughs> Um, but then from a from a business perspective, we're protecting ourselves. We're being very transparent and clear. That's right. You know, there's two sides of the equation here. I mean, we have to – assumption is obviously um, a, a big area where people fall down. You know, we can't assume that our consumers know the risks around information security or, or GDPR mm. or privacy. However, the onus is on them 
to, you know, obviously make that choice. So, yes, you as the business owner versus you as the consumer, and you've got to find that happy medium, I suppose. Yep, yep. Okay, and so in terms of looking at your current list, for example, would this be a good approach? Uh, Go into my current CRM or my email uh, marketing contacts, have a look, uh, do a search for geography in terms of where people are based, Mm -hmm. and then see if this is really something I need to be looking at and just doing that every quarter. Is that how I should be approaching it, or should I be 100% getting a privacy policy in place and spending, Mm. you know, Five to ten thousand dollars worth of money getting at terms and conditions, you know. Look, I think it depends. You have to obviously do some analysis on where the bulk of your clients are and where your revenue comes from. So yes, absolutely. If you can geolocate where your your users are or your clients are, and uh, either decide that that's not a piece of your business that you wish to pursue anymore because the risk mm-hmm. of being having to be compliant is too great and the cost of becoming compliant is too great, then, then yeah, absolutely, that's one way of, of doing it. The other thing that I think is really important, though, is that the rules around governance and accountability and consent and breach notification, all the things that sort of make up GDPR, are actually, they're not just a... They're not just there to be a pain in the butt. These are the principles of best practice when it comes to managing information, handling information, whether your clients are here or in the EU, or it doesn't matter where they are. So, you know, it's it's about, again, it comes back to risk, understanding your risk. What's the risk that your database could be breached? Mm, let's um, talk about that because this is mm-hmm. an area you work in really specifically to make sure that small business doesn't have those complications because the the consequences are enormous so can you give us a little bit of context on you know what's involved and and what the real outcomes are for businesses when it does go wrong when they are breached in breach yeah Yeah, sure so you know the the gdpr sort of guidelines on one hand state that you should really be employing resources that are data controllers and data processes and they're responsible for putting in uh, policies and processes around privacy. Sorry, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of P's there. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So we probably, from a general best practice perspective with small businesses here in Australia, whilst you're not going to go out and spend upwards of 100K a year in hiring a privacy officer or a data controller, my advice there is that what you do need to do is have an awareness of where your data is, where it lives within your network, what type of data it is, and how it flows in and around and out of the network. And once you have an understanding of that, you can go, okay, you know, my risk out of zero to five of being breached is it's, you know, maybe it's a three or less, and I'm willing to, you know, the cost of a breach to me might be, I might be offline for half a day, but I can afford that. How much, you know, I guess business owners have got to look at if there is a breach, um, if I get hacked, uh, if there is an accidental loss of data from within the organisation, which, by the way, is, is, is a very, very uh, significant cause of data loss within business. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the cost to my business if I'm offline or I can't sell or I can't reach or get, get out there for a day, half a day, a week? Yeah. You know, um, so and then, and then that, you and then you work that gone? Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, has it been sold? Has it been thrown on the sidewalk? Um, is it sensitive information that, you know, potentially say you're a company doing 
are working on a bid or a, a tender or something, you know, trying to win a piece of business, what if that got into your competitor's hands? Mm. So they knew exactly what you were bidding, what your solution was, how much it was costing the client, and you just undercut them or, you know, if it gets in the, the hands of the wrong person, they could then present a tender response to that client using that data mm. um, to, to win it, essentially. So, yeah, you've got to look at, it's, it's just a risk, it's all a risk equation and that's, guess I guess that's the way we sort of go into the bulk of our engagements with our client is going, you know, don't invest stupid amounts of dollars to prevent or protect when the risk is very low. But a lot of companies don't even know how to, A, identify that risk or understand what their their, their risk is. So, who, to, to so who, can we, who can we get then, for instance, to – it's people like yourself who we can go, okay, um, can, can you please assess uh, how at risk we are? And yes. then sort of create essentially like a risk profile so that you can then strategize what to do to yeah. manage that risk. Yeah, correct. So, you know, independent third parties who don't know much about your business um, can always be a good starting point because you want to have a, a, an independent party come in basically from the point of walking in the front door to understand what your risk of having a bad guy walk through the front door is mm. um, and coming in and doing that end-to-end business analysis to understand people's roles and responsibilities, what data are they handling, who are they sending it to, how are they sending it. And so it basically starts with a gap analysis and a, and a business analysis to understand whether inf- where the information lives. Is it in systems? Is it, is, in, is it in people's heads? Is it written on sticky notes? How does, how does the, the business handle their information and how does it walk out the door? Um, and then you also, it's just, yeah, it's getting, getting that process from, okay, here's a, here's the current state, here's a recommendation on the future mm. state, and then putting, pla- putting a plan in place, um, including things like disaster recovery plans. Um, you know, if there is a breach, how do we, um, how do we identify what it is quickly? How do we put a Band-Aid on that? And then how do we future-proof it in the, in the long term? So, and, and it's a constant feedback loop. You know, you've got to put a stake in the ground. This is where we are now. Uh, this is where we want to get to in the future and then constant remeasure to understand how your risk profile is changing as you implement more mature processes mm. or deploy more sophisticated technology or educate your people. Okay. And so if I think about some businesses that I work with who 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 buy software to store client data, like very complex and it's connected to, let's say, the legal, a legal business and everything is sort of speaking to everything else. Um, because that is a paid solution, are people more safe or is, there, or is that sort of a false sort of feeling if things are being integrated or plugged in? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good one and it's a tough one to answer. Um, because we, sort, again, of, we just, sort of feel like when we buy a solution that we're sorted. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? There's no silver bullet, Mel. Um, there, definitely is not, <laughs> yeah. um, there definitely is not a silver bullet. But, you know, securing data really comes down to three key things, and that is people, process, and technology. So you could buy the shiniest piece of kit on the market, which is designed to protect or ring fence your data, but, uh, you know, you can't help it if someone within your organisation clicks on a link that might be malicious. Mm-hmm. And that's why we need to educate our users. There might be a process in the organisation that actually allows uh, someone to ring up and ask one of the IT administrators for access to someone's emails and 
they don't challenge that person on that request, you know. Mm. So the process doesn't state that written authorization must be given. Mm -hmm. So if you have a malicious user who's keen to steal a pile of data because they're going to go to the opposition and get paid a ton more money, you know, there's nothing to stop them actually walking out the door with that data. So it does come down to a multitude of things. And you've also got to look at, um, just going back to your reference about buying a solution that should have built-in security, well, yes, it may do a very good job of securing that data when it's in that location, but once it moves to another location, you know, if it gets emailed out of that database, is it encrypted? Um, you know, they, if it's not encrypted, it could be susceptible to man-in-the-middle attacks. You know, that we're, everything's online these days and it's very hard to control where the data is going. So then you have to put technology in place that just monitors it and maybe alerts your IT department mm. when something mm. is moving or if it's unauthorised or, you know, so it's, it's a, it, it is a... It is a best effort. <laughs> mm -hmm. And again, it comes back to that level of risk. How sensitive is the data? You know, a lot of people are going and buying a lot of technology to protect their data, but they don't actually know or they haven't actually figured out, is that data critical to their business? Is it sensitive? Who is it actually allowed to go to? And, and that goes down a whole rabbit warren of big exercises about data classification and tagging your data so that mm. you can track it through the organisation. Mm, mm. So but the thing is, the thing, sorry, just now to, to state yeah. there is that a lot of people go, well, hang on a sec, I'm, I'm not a bank, I'm not the CIA, I don't, you know, I don't need to do overkill here. And that is true. Um, but again, it just comes back to looking at who within your business, if you've got a, a pretty large business with, you know, HR, finance, legal teams, the whole lot. What is the data? Who owns the data? Because um, back in back in the 90s, we always used to blame the IT guys and tell everybody that it was the IT guys' fault for losing that data or if something happened to it. But in fact, the finance data probably belongs to the CFO or the, the finance manager. The legal data <laughs> belongs to the legal team. And so it's, their, it's everybody's responsibility to understand what is happening with the information. Right. And so I know, having spoken to you, you and the other director of, of Taipan Group, is that people often come to you when the problem is there and there's not yes. much that can be done once the problem has occurred. So yeah, that's right. I mean, finding a breach or how it occurred can often be like looking for a needle in a haystack, just to use a, a really old analogy there, but it is it is true. Yeah, prevention really is better than a cure when it comes to managing data and information. So what we really try to do is go, okay, let's not look for a Band-Aid. Let's look at starting at the very grassroots of things here and go back to basics, look at the what the business processes are, what technology is already in place, and go back to doing that gap analysis. So you can put protective measures in place. You can put um, protective measures in place to help you fight the fire if a breach does occur and perhaps shorten that time to remediation. Right. Okay. And so uh, examples of businesses that you're working with, or let's obviously we're not going to mention their business names, mm -hmm. but let's say industries where people have said, okay, identify that we've got some degree of sensitive information, you come in. Well, what are you able to do for them other than create that plan? And I guess, I guess what I'm wanting to know is what are those sort of, I guess, light bulb moments where business owners or people in those those levels of responsibility are actually going, oh, wow, I never <clears throat> perceived this to actually be an issue. Yeah. Look, we take a fairly 
<laughs> we take an overly paranoid stance on information security, I suppose, at Taipeng Group. Uh, look, 80% of the businesses out there all face the same challenges when it comes to securing data and knowing where it is and understanding it. So, you know, we can say that across the board, whether it's finance companies or um, government departments, you know, utilities companies, they've all got fairly similar requirements. And I guess the light bulb moments really come when they realise that the, probably the position they have to take is that you will get hacked. A breach will occur. Yeah. You know, the old school way of thinking was, well, I've got nothing to hide. Um, I don't care if my information goes public. Or what? why would someone come and attack us? We're just a small 150-seat organisation, you know, looking after... Uh, it could be your legal legal companies that you're referring to before or accountancies or healthcare, healthcare providers, you're absolutely a target. Everybody should take the position that they are a target and that uh, the cost of protecting your data and your clients' information is a cost of doing business these days. And mm -hmm. so, therefore, it is about rallying support from the top down through the organisation to make sure that the organisations are budgeting accordingly for putting in solutions, policies, and processes and procedures to help protect data, because ultimately the reputational damage mm. could be could be could be the loss of that could be you shutting down your business. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's 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 all over. So you're talking about bigger organisations. What about on a small business level? Yeah, the small business level is a hard one because obviously it does come like, you know, it's not exactly cheap to go and get third-party consultants in to, to come in and spend, you know, it could be it could be a day, it could be weeks to come in and, and look at these things. So, you know, our advice here is you do, there's a lot of information out there. Um, I know it's hard if you're not an expert in information security to know which information you should trust and what guidelines you should follow. Uh, but there are there are fairly good resources out there for small businesses. My advice would be that if you don't, if you have any doubts or any concerns, the cost of... <laughs> peace of mind almost. The, yeah, the cost of peace of mind is worth it. And you could probably do it, you know, it would be if, if you looked at... Um, a good consultant for a small business could probably come in and get some really good analysis and information just by doing a workshop with your key stakeholders like your, your general manager, your CEO, your IT team and your different lines of business. Or if, it's, if we're talking super small business, come in and have an hour or two workshop, get a really good feel for where the data is, asking questions that make business owners really think um, and be mindful of where their data is and how it's travelling through the organisation and then come up with a policy or a process or some um, really good action plan for these companies to start following and implementing over time. This, as I said before, there's no silver bullet. Yep. It's not going to fix the problem overnight. But as long as you start making these practices second nature and have a sort of a security aware culture within your organisation, that mindfulness will start paying off. Right. And so that then doesn't, because I think about the businesses that I work with that are, you know, they are turning over $3 million. Yes. Um, so, but they don't have those people in house. So I would be thinking that would be a great opportunity to bring in the contractors that you would normally work with, the, the service providers, actually yes. bring them in and you take responsibility for it rather than relying on saying, okay, well, this is our IT contractor and sort of that's her scope or that's his area and we covered. You yeah, absolutely. Because in the end, it's our, it's, it's our, the impact is on us, right? Yes. 
Yeah, my advice there is, and one of the clients that we're working with at the moment, um, they, they've done a really smart thing. So their IT team need to be uh, compliant in several areas, and one of those areas is payment card industry. They do take, um, you know, they do process credit card data, and there's actually a pile of other regulations that I won't I won't go into with them just for keeping it anonymous, but. Uh, the IT team got really savvy and the, the security guys got really savvy as well and they went to the business and said, okay, this to secure all our data and tick the compliance box, it's going to cost roughly, let's say, half a million dollars just for argument's sake. But, uh, you know, you guys can... We don't have to go down this path. You guys can sign off on this if you like. If, you're, if you, as the business owner, as the CEO, is willing to be accountable for the fallout that happens sign here. You know, so it's, it's a bit of a risk mitigation and, and backside, not a backside covering um, process, but it just demonstrates that we're starting to see that shift in culture where it's not the responsibility of the IT teams. Like, they, they support the systems that protect the data, but they don't own the data. So it's really important for, yeah, it, you can't assume that your IT guy who comes in and keeps your firewall on or your internet connected through the wall is responsible for the, where the data goes. It's, no. it, it is the business owners. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, so um, so so when you're talking about compliance, you're you're not talking about the uh, GDPR. You're actually talking about Australian compliance, aren't you? Yeah, correct. So we have we have plenty of um, overheads here in Australia that we need to comply with, depending on what line of business you're in. And as we mentioned before, there is the um, the Notifiable Data Breaches Scheme in Australia, which refers to the Privacy Act. Mm -hmm. So, you know, businesses that do turn over more than $3 million annually do have to comply with um, Notifiable Data Breaches Scheme. So that means if you do have a breach and uh, your client's data is, is leaked, even if you can't really identify where it is, you do have to disclose that information and let your clients know that something has happened. So that's you know, that's one area of compliance. We also have, um, for the financial institutions, there's there's APRA guidelines that they have to adhere to. For payment card industry or for people who process credit card data, they have to apply, have to comply with the payment card industry data security standards. So we do have a lot of overheads here locally that a lot of businesses need to, need to be mindful of. But again, our advice is don't just see compliance as a pain in the butt. It is a best practice approach to handling your information and managing your data and being a security aware organisation. Right. Okay. So when you, you know, as you said before, this is about budgeting and making sure that it's part of your business uh, mm -hmm. expenses across a year. What's, what, um, what is, you know, reasonable percentage wise in terms of turnover? Like, well, how do, as a, as a guide, is there any guide? I mean, um, yeah, look, we, we sort of, it's, it's, a, it's a great question and again, no silver bullet here because what one company might require from an IT spend perspective is going to be completely it different is, to another. But there is, mm. there is a percentage. I mean, there's a, there, we've, over the years there's been a myriad of graphs been drawn about, uh, for instance, the cost to an organisation to be in reactive mode. So I think if I, if I think back to my, my old days working for a, a global security vendor, mm. um, you know, I think there was, if, if a company is in a reactive phase, they'll be spending 
3% of their IT budget on information security. If they're in a proactive phase, they might spend 4%, but then what happens once you reach uh, that optimal point of being proactive is that graph comes way back down and this percentage of IT spend end up, ends up being 1% because you just maintain compliance and mm. you're, you're, you sweat your assets. You get more value out of yep. your assets. You're... Um, implementing these sound processes and procedures to make sure that you're not vulnerable anymore and all of a sudden you, you, you make an investment up front and uh, so the, 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 the curve is steep in that investment but once you get to compliance it drops back down dramatically year after year because you're just in this maintenance mode. Right, right. So that look, and that's a percentage of IT spend on security which is obviously where our background is so I can't comment outside that so much on these new costs of compliance and privacy, they are relatively new, but from a, uh, I guess, a, <clears throat> excuse me, IT security perspective, it was, you know, a, between 2 to 5% of the total IT spend. Right. So not much when you really look at it, given that, um, <laughs> given that security is such a big deal these days, the overall spend is still, is still low. Um, and I don't know, perhaps it should be uh, given more, airtime within organisations, I, defi- I think it, it definitely should be. But, yeah. Um, yeah, once you achieve that state of maintenance and in a compliant or best practice phase, the, the cost is relatively low. Yeah, no, it makes, it makes sense. Now, you mentioned something about pr- payment processing before. Um, mm-hmm. If someone's using something like Stripe or Square or one of those payment processes, um, are they more protected than if they people were processing their own payments in another in their own sort of independent way. Uh, yeah, look, I guess because because I think my, about it, we don't get customer data on their payment details, right. for instance, because we use Stripe. So that's right. Yeah, they're back ended by the banks. So you know, if you're using a facility like that, then it is the bank or the um, the the credit union or the financial services behind that facility who are PCI compliant. So you as a user, if you're you know you're down at the local markets taking credit card payments using those sorts of Stripe facilities, you don't have to worry about it. Um, and you know the the PCI requirements around those big financial services providers is you know it the, they've pretty much got their act together. Yeah, yeah. so, <laughs> Otherwise, so they if you're doing it that way, yeah. So the more convenient yeah. way is, is actually the safer way anyway. Oh, yeah, I'd avoid having to um, comply with PCI at all costs yeah. <laughs> if you're a small business, yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. <coughs> so the, the key is to be to being pr- proactive, to be putting in uh-huh. place um, terms or conditions or, or, or I guess identifying the privacy policy that your business operates under so that people can have that um, have that opt-in. So is this is this is more... I'm thinking if people are listening in their e-commerce, this is big, huge for them because obviously yep. your 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 traffic in can come from anywhere around the world, just like mm-hmm. any business really. But if people are transacting there, or there is a high uh, high traffic, or if you're targeting those countries, mm-hmm. for instance, um, if you're a service provider and you sell products, which plenty of service providers mm-hmm. are doing in, in sort of increasing sizes, then it's something to definitely be looking at, um, and. I know that you've got actually a bit of a guide for us. And look, I, I hope that I've asked the right questions for people listening because this is, you know, my brain is sitting here sort of churning over going, oh, what else have I sort of kept in their head and not got out here? But I know you've got a, an action plan that um, you've put together for everybody. Can you give uh-huh. us an insight into what that is so people can, um, and we can point people in the right direction for where to find that in the show notes. But yeah, tell us about that. 
Uh, yeah, so look, um, we've put together a checklist that business owners can can use to refer to. Um, it is basically eight steps towards, you know, checking your compliance. And as I, as I referred to before, it, it can seem very scary if you're looking down the barrel of GDPR, but go back to thinking about a best practice approach and those gap assessments and really understanding or being mindful of where your data is. So our checklist consists of um, doing somewhat of a data privacy impact assessment. So if you are, you know, one of these businesses who is definitely going to have to be mindful of GDPR, a privacy impact assessment is a must-do. This is pretty much non-negotiable in my, in my opinion. You need to, for the smaller businesses who just want to get gauge where they might be at with regards to having to comply with GDPR or take a best practice approach to managing their client data, you could do a, a very high level impact assessment around data privacy. Um, and, and a lot of this does involve either using, I guess, a third party or working with your um, key stakeholders internally to establish these baselines. Mm -hmm. um, the second step is just doing a, a, an inventory of your personal data. So, you know, you mentioned before um, capturing data from different areas around the world and from EU nation states. Well, yep, let's really look at where our data is coming from, do some analysis, where is it, what, where are people living, where are our services going, so an inventory of the data. Then looking, next well, just, step is looking... Sorry, just, can I yep. pause you for just a second? I think it would mm -hmm. be really quite fascinating to know just how much data we capture without actually realising it, because I think... Without even trying. Yeah, because plenty of us are, have things in place, we're using software yes. or using different uh, tools that's actually collecting this information and we may not be aware of it. That's, so that's exactly right. It's that that's discovery a, it's a really piece, good point, it? Mel. A lot of people do not know where their data lives and they do not know which systems are capturing it. And, you know, you know this better than anybody. You might use one system to catch uh, a certain amount of data and then, oh, it doesn't... You know, it does expense reports and CRM, but it doesn't do something else that I need it to do from a selling perspective. You know, it doesn't do lead capture or lead generation. So, oh, I'll go and deploy another system. How do those systems talk to each other? And that leads nicely into the next point for the, um, the action plan or the checklist is looking at the data flow. So doing an analysis, as I mentioned before, if you looked at a, um, information in a person's head and they walk into a building... From the moment that they leave the building, where have they taken that information around the organisation? Mm -hmm. So looking at the data flow. Um, next step, doing a risk assessment. So this comes back to what I was talking about before. The, what you need to do before you take any action is understand your risk. And where your data is and how it flows will determine what your risk levels are. Okay? Yep. Um, and so then what we need to look at, once we've established a level of risk, the next step is to have a look at what your incident response or data breach response procedures are. So if, if you do realise that some data has left your organisation, how quickly can we respond to that? How quickly can we put out that fire? And how quickly are we able to notify the right people before we can, uh, before we suffer any reputational damage or financial losses? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, from there, we just basically look at what those gaps are and build a remediation plan. So you've identified your risk, you identify where the gaps are either in your people, your processes or your technology, build a remediation plan. As I said before, it's not going to happen overnight. It might take weeks, it might take months. 
It may be that it's a never-ending cycle for your company, but you are just going to work towards best efforts to mitigating that risk. Um, and then obviously, yeah, you implement those improvements and the remediation if there is a breach. Um, and from there, it is about being in maintenance mode and governance, you know, on maintaining that ongoing accountability and compliance, whether it be for your own internal compliance or for the purposes of the auditors or the, the regulators in the EU if it is a GDPR compliance mm -hmm. requirement. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's basically it. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Well, um, I, my mind's a little bit blind. <laughs> um, I, I know there's probably going to be questions there, as I said, that I that I haven't asked, um, but I know that you're the uh, the right person to talk to. So Carrie uh, Gurr is the person to search for. We'll put it in the show notes on LinkedIn um, and uh, we'll put Taipan Group's uh, URL in there as well. Um, but thank you, Carrie. Thanks for explaining it in such uh, – this is your – you are very gifted at this, being able to put it in <laughs> normal language for us. Well, I am a layperson myself, so I hope that, um, you know, although we do speak we, – we live in this world um, at Taipan Group all about security and business processes and – uh, we can often get down in the weeds and get very technical, but, you know, one of the hardest things for our clients is to translate the benefit of being compliant to the other um, lines of business who don't speak the language. Yeah. So we have, to, we have to be able to translate, you know, often technical re requirements into business requirements or technical success into business success and explain to people what that looks like. Mm. Um, and so hopefully I've done that for you today, but I guess in the most basic form... Um, one of the things, I'll, it sounds a bit corny, but as I said before, prevention is better than a cure. And um, a, another good one I like to use is, you know, be compliant, not complacent, because mm. one day you will get breached in one form or another. That's the stance we like people to take. And um, it's just not worth it in the end. So that's um, in its most simplest form. Take a, take a great stance on compliance and don't be complacent. Yeah. That's it. And I'd be interested to know how many people actually have cyber insurance as well. I know you and I have spoken about this briefly, um, but there's a whole lot of people who really need this sort of insurance and, and aren't taking it on board either. Um, yes, and that's so, a whole other kettle of fish. It really is. That's another podcast episode. <laughs> that's right. I don't want to do that one. <laughs> no, no. No, but, you know, I think, look, thank you for being on hand to, uh, to answer these questions. Um, I'd like to think that we're, you know, people are out there who are selling products that are, solutions uh, are mm. also putting people like yourself in the room when it comes to conferences and things like that to talk about the real risks because uh, I know it's it's easy for businesses to be talking about the benefits <clears throat> excuse me of the products they sell and the services they yeah. offer because they are great but this is such an important part of it whether we're talking about GDPR or we're talking about mm. you know the uh, Australian Privacy Act and, and complying there these yeah. things are really super important so. yeah that's right. And even at the most basic level, what's your internal acceptable usage or security policy dictate that you need to have in regards to technical controls? Because, I mean, honestly, you could you could spend a lot of money on a shiny piece of kit that isn't really going to do what you need it to do unless you under, you've got to really understand what your requirements are. Yeah, that's um, right. And we're and, often and sold into those solutions, purchase. though. Yeah. Oh, of course, of course. So, yes, it is good to go back to basics before going down the path of, buying the shiny toys but um yep. you know that's that's business strategy versus tactics and you know it's not an easy problem to solve yeah all right carrie thank you so much for your time great to have you no problem thank you very much mel i appreciate it
Thanks for joining me for today's episode with Carrie Gurr there of Taipan Group. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. We could do with some reviews on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher. Um, if you'd like to keep up to all of the episodes that are coming through on Monetizing Knowledge, then you can press the subscribe button to make sure that you get the update as each episode goes live. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Enjoy your week.